The True Ambition Podcast with John Zink is brought to you by IT Avalon. IT Avalon, IT staffing and professional services done right. Visit our sponsor at itavalon.com. Now, welcome to True Ambition. Hey everybody, welcome to the True Ambition Podcast. My name is John Zink, and uh, I'm very happy today to be joined by Mr. Franco Finn. How are you doing? I am doing well, John. I cannot complain. Uh, I'm alive another day during this crazy time, and so I got to count, uh, you know, all, all my blessings here. But it's been wonderful, and I feel great. I'm in springtime, too, for me. Spring is my favorite time of year. Well, where are you joining us from today over Zoom? Um, so I'm here uh, over uh, in San Francisco in my home office. Um, I wish you could see my walls. It has a lot of uh, sports stuff. I should probably turn it around at some point. Uh, but I've got like my multiple you know, setups for all my events and everything that I do virtually and all my work. But uh, yeah, I'm here in San Francisco, born and raised, uh, love my city and uh, very involved here. And I can't imagine any other place besides San Francisco, to be honest, that I would ever live um, uh, although I did live in France uh, for a little bit, uh, I speak French and went to a bilingual school. So that's another another side of me there. But besides here and maybe Paris, uh, you know, this this is this is home for sure. Well, that's cool. I'm, I'm going to take a deep breath here, and we're going to talk about some of the things that you do because it's going to take me a deep breath to get it all out. So <laughs> a lot of people uh, tuning in are going to know the voice or know the face if they're watching this as uh, you are the Golden State Warriors hype man. That is correct, sir. Uh, For 19 seasons, I'll be going into 20 after this season. But yeah, almost two decades. That's awesome. And then uh, also work for Alaska Airlines um, yes. in marketing, correct? That, yeah, marketing, external relations, community. I'm kind of a, a little bit of everything. I'm a jack of all trades. I, I represent an entire region now for uh, Alaska. So California is my territory, but I'm anything and everything from news uh, marketing, uh, sponsorships, our partnerships with our sports teams, uh, everything and everything about Alaska here on the ground in California, especially in the Bay Area, I've got my hands on. And formerly Virgin America before that. So uh, that is, I guess that's my Clark Kent uh, by day job, if you want to just compare. Uh, and then uh, I turn into a superhero at night when I become the hype man at the Warriors in the evenings. So it's just kind of that duality, uh, yeah. that balance, among well, you, other things. Well, you got to have that. It's like we we were talking prior to the podcast, and you know, it's like I run a IT staffing company during the day, yeah. and then my alter ego is jumping on stage with an '80s tribute band. You know, put on a scarf, dress up in some funny clothes, and then jump around like a madman. So I love it, and I think it's good for our sanity. I'll be honest. I mean, like if you're just doing one job, I mean, I don't know. Some others like. To stick to one job, but we probably have same personality where you got to be involved in certain things and have multiple, you know, things you're juggling in the air. That keeps me going. That keeps my bloodline pumping, just like you hopping into a band and doing your full time. I mean, it's just all that balance and craziness, and you probably wouldn't have it any other way, right, John? Well, no, it keeps uh, it keeps me uh, the the insanity of some of those things keeps me sane. It's almost like it's almost like that outlet valve that you have to push because there's too much air in the tire. You have to let it out every once in a while, otherwise I will yeah. explode. I love it. I love that analogy too, because that exactly that's how I see things as well. You know, it's uh, 
it's organized chaos, you know, hey, you know, what's, what's, what's a little chaos in life, right? It makes life <laughs> a little interesting. Exactly. So the other thing is, uh, Franco Finn Productions. Yes. And uh, what exactly do you do with uh, the LLC? So Franco Finn Productions, too, is another one of my, you know, little subsidiary brands, if you will. Uh, basically kind of encompass everything from uh, not only the front end, uh, you know, obviously talent side and everything like that. You know, I'm being an auctioneer and MC host, entertainer, you know, MC, whatever you want to call it. But the, the production side of it, really the behind the scenes stuff, you know, people don't realize you know, hey, I also have, I'm not just a talent and being in front of cameras, but I have, you know, I really take it serious doing behind the scenes stuff. So, you know, started with doing events, you know, event planning and, and managing and coordinating over the years, uh, dating back to my radio days at Radio Disney. You know, I was a promotions and marketing director there and basically coordinating events. And then it just kind of evolved. So the production side of things really has a little bit of everything because um, it could be, you know, DJ, product, uh, sound, lighting, that production side. Um, it could be behind the scenes for event uh, purposes, whatever capacity that is. And then, of course, it encompasses the talent side of things, obviously being a front man and doing all that. So it, literally the gamut of everything from I used to do a lot of weddings back in the day to now, to now corporate events, more so in auctions and fundraisers and nonprofits, uh, but a little bit of everything. And it kind of rolls into Franco Finn Productions, which is a uh, you know, just kind of all encompassing, if you will. So now live in San Francisco. You are married. Yes. Sir. What is your wife's name? My wife's name is Michelle and she's, uh, you know, also Bay area native. And, uh, we've been married about, Oh my goodness. Uh, it'll be 10 years this fall. Um, so that's, it's a big, big year. And you have two Boston Terriers. Yes, who are probably underneath me right at the moment. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if not, um, yes, two amazing Bostons. They're little kids for now, um, and they are just cute as ever. And they are used to Franco, Finn, and Mom being at home. And so the moment I even set foot out here, they're so used to this COVID stuff now. They're they panicked if I just set foot in the kitchen. <laughs> but they're my two little, little fur babies, if you will, 11 and a two-year-old, which has the same birthday as me, by the way. Who's if I was a dog, and morphed into that, I I, I, I would uh, I would be Coco, the the, the baby, the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Coco, Franco. See, it's just same birthday. We're literally the same personality. Just same syllables. Dog. It's all the same. It's all the same. <laughs> you, you, they say that you are like your pets. You, you ever heard of that? Like well, they, they, they start growing into, they start looking like you, they start acting they start like looking you. like you. And, uh, you know, I, I remember I, I, used, I, I thought about this when I saw Snoop Dogg, you know, Snoop Dogg, the rapper, you know, when he first came out on the scene back in the nineties, I'm like, man, this guy sounds cool. He's got this little cool demeanor. And I mean, then he started looking like a dog. Like he, he started morphing into a dog. Didn't you, <laughs> didn't, don't you think like, I start seeing this like Doberman Pinscher look. Well, no, they, they had a, they had a video where it's like he morphed into he morphed a dog. Into it, and, and, and I, I just feel like that. Like I am my Boston Terriers, and and they are me. And, and Snoop Dogg, I just use as an example as a visual because in that video, you're right. He he looks like a dog, and then you're like, he is a dog. And DMX, <laughs> the DMX, the rapper, rest in peace. DMX. Oh yeah. Um, he came out with just the, this like angry rap, like, oh, with the voice, but he is a freaking pit bull, isn't he? <laughs> he he was, is a dog. He, he was is totally a dog. Yeah, uh, that, that was, like, that was sad when he passed. 
it was very sad. And I've been listening to a lot of his like anthems and, you know, just the whole hype stuff the last week, but man, what a, what a time. That's why I say, Hey, you got to be alive and uh, you got to be alive and kicking. Cause our, our, our heroes, our role models, our family members, I mean, people are, you just don't know who's going to, who's going to last. Right. And so we got to just take every day, every breath and, and make the most of it. So what, uh, what year did you graduate from high school? So I'm from the ripe old uh, camp of the nineties. So I am a 95er, um, in, uh, San Francisco, uh, uh, high school there. So 95 right there, right in the heart of the golden era of like, I think personally, I mean, every parent would probably say, no, my era of music was good. Not like, Hip hop, R and B, uh, pop music, grunge came out of that. I mean, the nineties were pretty off the hook. When when, when did you grow up? Uh, what, I graduated from a really small town in Illinois, nineteen ninety, okay. and uh, so you're early nineties. Okay, all the bands early. I was in back then, it was all Pearl Jam, yeah. Stone Temple Pilots, Alice in Chains, you know, all that oh, grunge yeah. stuff, right? And uh, what the reason I'm asking is because at the age that we are now, you know mid forties, early fifties, you know, all of those quote unquote rock stars or pop stars, they're coming into their sixties, seventies and eighties. We're going to lose a whole bunch of them coming up. And it's a story that I heard earlier. It's like all of the great big rock stars, because there's not too many rock stars anymore today in kind of the, what do I say? The, um, over sampled, over produced, um, pop star type thing that they produce today instead of the bands, there's not going to be a huge amount of no. rock stars moving forward. You know, so they were just they were saying yeah. we're going to lose a lot of them, and they're all going to be gone here over the next ten to fifteen years, which is going to be sad. It's very sad because it is it is an era it, it, like we're shifting. I mean, have you noticed? I mean, not only just the world and society as we know it, and just I mean, obviously with the pandemic, just created a big pause in the world, but like there's definitely a shift in energy and focuses like, like those legends back in the day, like they are getting older, like they're passing like that era, like back in, you know, when our parents, you know, would, would look up to some of these other pop stars and icons and idols and media and TV, film, music, like it all shifts, right? Like now we're shifting with that. And so like you, you said it right. It's just crazy to think that we, we, we've lost not only like these young Young folks too, like younger, like we talked about DMX and we talked about other folks, but man, we've lost other folks like even along the way, like George Michael and Prince, Jackson, Prince, Whitney Houston. I mean, the list goes on and on. And these are people that, you know, when you were growing up, they were like untouchable. They were oh, on yeah. this stage that was like, oh, they're going to be here forever. The classics like, no, but these people are, are gone. I mean, who do we, David Bowie, you know, he was, he, he passed. I mean, and, and the list goes on. I mean, we'll probably think of like another 50 that passed in the last probably five years, which is sad, but Hey, and that just goes to show that, you know, it's just, it's, it's a new era coming up. Like, you know, who's, who's, who's the legends now? Like, is it the Justin Timberlakes? I remember him in the nineties when I was working in radio in 2000s, man, NSYNC came to the scene. That's actually how I became a hype man was during the early 2000s when it was NSYNC, Backstreet, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilar, all the boy band, girl band, pop, 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 Hillary Duff, Miley Cyrus was at the tail end, Jonas Brothers. Like, they're becoming older and they're starting to become icons. I got a great story. I was just, uh, last weekend, I was just in uh, Las Vegas. I was golfing at Southern Highlands. Ooh, okay. And 
up pulls this golf cart and it's a guy and his kid. It's Nick Carter uh, from oh, the Backstreet Boys. Oh my God. Yes. And I was like, damn, the guy looks really familiar. And he's like, hey, I'm Nick Carter. I'm like, oh my God, you're a Backstreet Boy. So then the rest of the round, every time somebody hit, hit a shot, I'm like, Backstreet's back. All right. So oh then, uh, and he was only like uh, the hole in front of us. So I'm sure he heard me say that many times. That's pretty awesome. That I and I used to, you know, I used, I actually used to host a lot of the shows with the, with Nick and the Backstreet Boys, and then also when he went solo as Nick Carter, the solo artist, I remember uh, over in San Francisco, the film where I emceed that uh, in front of an audience. But how funny that is! How's his, I wonder how his golf game is. I, I heard not too good. I heard okay. that he's a really super nice guy from all of the members out there. He is a nice guy. And I, I, I uh, they said he was just a, a great guy, not the best golfer, but he had a he had a kicking system and a, a, a beautiful uh, golf cart he was cruising around is in. There, is that his home course? Maybe is that? Yeah, they he uh, he, they they said that he moved there a few years back uh, when they did a residency at one of the casinos ah, out there. Ah, that makes sense. So Southern Hills, do you recommend that golf club? It's called Southern Highlands, and it oh, is Southern gorgeous. Highlands. Okay. I, I, I play with my buddy in Vegas. I, I've been into golf. That also uh, adds to my sanity uh, these days during the pandemic. Um, he plays at, at Paiute. You ever heard of Paiute? Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Yes, beautiful. And he's a member there. And uh, every time I go to Vegas, I played there. That's the only place I've played in Vegas. So I'm going to have to look at uh, Southern Heights, you said, right? Highlands. Highlands. Sorry, I can't get it right. Southern Highlands. And what, what part of Vegas is that? Uh, I don't even know. They just picked me up at the airport and take me to uh, a limo takes me to the <laughs> to the place VIP, man I, I need to i need to roll with you and hang with you on the golf it's actually course. rolling with my wife she's she's the she's the high roller I, i'm just oh she's she's the vip uh, i'm the bank roller she's the high roller oh <laughs> <laughs> hey that, that, that's awesome you know right <laughs> so how did you get your start with the warriors so this is uh as i talked about it was uh i it was because of really the radio days, uh, the, the, the pop era really ushered me in as a, a bona fide MC hype man personality. But it didn't just start like that. Like I was in the radio right out of college. So I graduated. We talked about this in 95 in high school, went to college at Santa Clara University. Uh, you know, um, the great Steve Nash, by the way, if you, you know, Hall of Famer uh, Steve Nash, coach sure. of the Brooklyn Nets. Um, anyways, he was a senior, I was a freshman then, um, but I got to see him play. He, um, so, so that small school after 99, I went into radio, went to radio Disney, which was, a what the heck is radio Disney, a radio station for kids. Are you serious? Well, started one in San Francisco. They were actually owned by ABC Disney, part of the Disney family and, uh, started a radio station for kids. And I was, you know, young, full of energy. And I said, hey, I never tried radio. I majored in communication. So I had, you know, TV background was, uh, was really my production, TV production behind the scenes uh, was my emphasis, you know, communications. And then I just said, I'm going to try radio. And I just wanted a job out of college. And I moved back to San Francisco from Santa Clara. And long story short, I ended up staying at Radio Disney for 11 years. But during that time frame, early 2000s, when I started with the Warriors, which was 2002, uh, which was amazing. That's why I'm, I'm going into almost my 20th year come 2022. I was in radio, was doing events. I was emceeing pretty much every concert in the Bay, pop music, you know, during the boy band era, in Seat Backstreet, whatnot. 
And then I was actually emceeing Hillary Duff. You remember Lizzie McGuire? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She was the it girl, right? Before Miley Cyrus, before all these it girls, Selena Gomez, she was the triple threat actress, singer, pop star, the whole nine. She had her first tour um, and as Hillary Duff. She was shaking the Lizzie McGuire image, but she had the music and she was just like an icon at the time for the kids. I did an event at the arena in Oakland. It was even called Oracle then in 2002. She didn't have an opening act. So I interviewed her at my radio station. And then she said, Hey, here's tickets to my show. I want you to be the opening uh, hype guy to open up my show. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. Little did I know, man, this show was sold out. I mean, it was packed to the gills with parents and their teens, girl teens, especially. So, you know, the decibel level was like on another, on another <laughs> uh, and you had to wear earplugs, but I had to hype it up basically for almost 10, 10 to 15 minutes with like no script, freestyle flow, get 20,000 fans pumped up girls primarily with glow sticks in hand. And, uh, and the radio station was like, you're the guy you need to hype this crowd. I was coming up a chance. Like when I say radio, you say Disney radio, Disney, who's from the four, one, five, seven, Oh seven. I mean, <laughs> dude, I was stretching and pulling things out of the <laughs> yeah. artillery. I mean, you try to hype up a crowd for 15 straight minutes, just live. Yeah, you're you're, you're picking out you're picking out every town in the Bay Area. Every town. where you at, Palo Alto? Oh yeah, I was like, <laughs> uh, uh, who else can I come up with? And, you know, you got this energy, and that was what I was known for. I was known as Freestyle Franco because I could literally freestyle and just come up with stuff on the fly and bring an energy and enthusiasm that was just contagious. And long story short, the the Warriors were backstage with their kids, executives. They said, "Man, you." commanded this crowd with no opening act, no music, no nothing. You're, you're, you're a beast. Here's my credit, no credit card. Here's my business card. Yeah. The credit cards comes later. No, uh, but here's my business card. It was like, I don't even know who it was. Like their kids were there. They were like awesome. And the kids were just like, Oh my gosh, you're the guy that introduced Hillary Duff. And, and then uh, I basically said, we're trying out people to uh, be hosts, to rove around and do interviews and talk to people. Now every NBA team, has an MC or two. And we were the very first team back in the early 2000s to have a MC. And then I evolved into a hype man because I started doing introductions and personality stuff. And I was just bringing that flavor. Um, fourth quarter, make some noise. You know, fourth quarter, get up on your feet. It's go time. This is our house. Make some noise. And then it was just the hype man was born. And I had these glasses and freaking, it was just, that's what happened 20 years ago. And then here I am. <laughs> That's so awesome. It's just taking, taking advantage of the opportunities that are thrown in front of you and always, yeah. always saying yes. Yes. You know, it's like being, I always think back to that. Uh, it's kind of a stupid movie, but uh, the yes man with Jim Carrey, oh, yeah. yes, yes. you know, I it's just like, that. you know, it's like, there's a lot of things in there that <laughs> you don't want to say yes to, but most of the times in life, if you get a chance, say yes, go try it out. I mean, I, I got a friend of mine who is a uh, next door neighbor. Uh, his name's Gary Owen. He's a stand-up comic. Yeah. And it's like, I, I want to jump on stage someday and just do that two or three minutes of stand-up because it sounds terrifying. Just what you said, standing on stage for 10 minutes with no script in front of the, that is a terrifying thought. 
It is. I mean, public speaking, let's just look back at, I mean, a number one fear, people have you know, what heights, you know, stuff like that. Um, but one of the number one fears is public speaking. People just don't, it's not a natural thing to just like, hey, I'm going to get up in front of a, an audience, especially that large 20,000 people or whatever, even 500 or 100 people. And just like everyone's focused on you, every word, every breath. And so you have a delivery, a performance that you got to do. And comedians, man, that's the toughest gig right there because you got to make them laugh, you know. But it's a natural talent for some. And I thought it was a natural talent for me. I mean, my, I'm not, you know, I try to be funny and do all that stuff, but, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm an energy guy. Like, I'm, I'm always like, I don't need coffee. I'm usually pretty hyper uh, anyways, just as a person. And I just channeled that but controlled it in a way that uh, was digestible but motivating and positive. And it, I made a career out of it. It's crazy because I'm, I'm the hype man auctioneer. That's kind of my brand. People know me as a hype man. The only bad thing, though, John, when you've got a brand is like, you're the hype guy, your energy is when you are on your downtime, like when I'm at golf, <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not hyping you up, hitting off the tee. I'm like, no. And I get, you know, you joke around. Like, I'm sure Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys was like, uh, Backstreet Boys, oh, I get it. Good one. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. never heard that before. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's what my but- wife is like, shut up. Don't say nothing, you know, <laughs> but, but, that, but that's what you're known for. Right. And you're just like, um, okay, I get it. And, and that's fine. You know, I made a business out of basically packaging a vial of energy hype man, Franco Finn brand. And this is what I do for my clients, for the warriors, for my job, even at Alaska, you're getting the brand, you're getting me, the authentic me, but the energy, the enthusiasm, the connections, the energy, the positivity, I do that for all the brands that I work for. And I guess that's kind of what my advice is to, to young folks that are trying to come up and do stuff. And hey, we, when we grew up, John, you, you, we didn't have any influencers. What the heck is these influencers? Oh my God, you're right. I mean, what are we talking about? Like you ask kids now, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a YouTube star and influencer. Huh? What the <laughs> hell is that? I mean, we're from the old school too, you know, right? I mean, like you earn everything, you know, we watch traditional TV, radio, media, but social media has just created another era uh, in our society that we talked about. And, and so trying to keep up with that is hard. Do you TikTok, John? Let me ask you, do you TikTok? I have someone who TikToks for me. <laughs> Look at that. See, I, I need what you have because it's a lot of work, right? You need someone else. I, I can't keep up with it. You know, it's just like, uh, there's so many different things to do. Uh, I'm a president of an IT staffing company. There's so many different things going on. Um, and then the podcast, I've got um, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, Clubhouse, all these different things. I, I can't keep up with all of it. So I have to have somebody else do it. Um, yeah. they, they use my thoughts and my um, information. Voice. Yeah, your yeah. brand. So your my brand to go out there. Yeah. But I, I just don't have enough time to do it. I, there's not enough of me to go around. So... I take advantage of all these different tools and I'm a big supporter of all this different technology. Yeah. I just can't use it all. I don't, I don't have enough time. And I also have, I also have a two and a half year old at home. So that's a game changer. That's a real job. (laughs) That's a real job. And it's something that I found out right about when he was about one, that me holding on to my phone and working or doing the rest of the bullshit 
um, was nothing compared to putting it down and concentrating on him when I'm around him. So I just made a conscious choice to put it down and walk away. I, I still have to do it on a daily basis because I will still find myself reading emails or something while I'm sitting next to him. And he's just looking at me like, uh, hello, dad. Play with me. Hello. Yeah. So, and it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a conscious choice because there's too many people who are walking around zombified, um, by their phone, their pad, their, what a tablet, whatever it is. And I don't want to be that person. I, I, and I feel like I, I you hundred percent, John, and it's reality. That's the, the world we live in right now. And I, I, what is your, like your son going to be wanting to be when they grow up, you know, like that generation, it, it's a whole nother world, but it is, it's a lot of upkeep. Like, and that's why companies and corporations and brands, they have a full-time social media person. Cause it is a lot to document everything about you, your brand, what you're doing promotion. And I wish part of me is like, I, I you know, social media never happened because I, I do miss the old school stuff where not everything that you were doing is everyone's business. <laughs> my, my wife and I were just having a conversation this morning. Thank God. Some of those old pictures of us aren't on the internet. Like everything is today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Right. But, but when did, when did society shift and say, I want to show you what food I ate this morning. I want to show you what I, you know, I picked my nose in the afternoon. I want to show you that I got to, you know, what, like what, why? Uh, and it's, um, it's changing a shift, not to sound like the, the cranky old man here, but, uh, I think the balance is good. Uh, um, you know, you know, I, I, I work, we all work hard and then do all the things, but sometimes I have to, like you said, like, I got to put the phone down. Like my wife and I have to do like a, all right, this is our time. I'm putting the phone right here and I'm just going to relax. And then, we have each other's attention right now. That's hard to do, though, for a human being these days, right? Well, I, um, I heard I heard a comedian uh, say that uh, about all of the documentation and all of the pictures of food and all the rest of the crap that goes on. Said that never have lives so less lived been so well documented. <laughs> that's so true. That's that's a very good point. You know, and it's like I, I'm a huge band, a huge fan of the band Tool. And yeah. uh, one of the things that uh, their lead singer Maynard says is put your phones down and enjoy and watch the concert. You know, it's like just w- w- a concert and you got everybody's phones up recording. Oh, gosh. You, you're not watching. You're not living. You're not, you're not watch- experiencing the show. Yeah. I, and then speaking of that, well, I mean, I know what, why Madonna did this. So Madonna kind of came up with her little small tour. She This is pre-pandemic. And she... Uh, did the whole thing where you have to check in your phone, wrap it up. And it's, I'm sure because of, they don't want content leaking out and stuff like this show was so secret. It was like uh, very limited performing in like small theaters, but it was like a whole another Madonna, like remake, but it was like an exclusive show. And I'm glad she did that because you know what? I would have first instinct. Most people are like, Oh, look at Madonna. Let me share this with the world. Like your priority was let me film this so I can share with the world versus didn't I just pay $500 for these damn tickets? <laughs> Shouldn't I be watching because I'm enjoying? Why right. am I paying money so that I can post so that someone else can enjoy what I just paid for? Like, it's kind of back words, don't you think, John? I mean, oh, this yeah. is kind of poof how just uh, things have evolved. Well, we, 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 have <laughs> been, we have been programmed that way and we've been programmed very well. It, it is. It, and it's crazy. I just, I just laugh at it, to be honest, because it's, that's all you can do. You know, I, I watch TikTok videos. I mean, 
they're entertaining. I mean, my attention spans short these days anyways, because I don't have much time. So I'm like, oh, let me get a little entertainment. Okay. But doing the videos, I mean, they go to a, another extent, which, hey, I give it up for some creativity. You know, I mean, some of these TikTokers and social media people, they go, it's a job. And I'm like, I wish I had that time. Uh, but it's not my career. And uh, it's just uh, it reinforces what I do, all the different brands I work for. But I do miss just kind of the good old fashioned, like, hey, let's just uh, hang out. <laughs> and so not post speak, speaking of what you do, uh, aside from the Warriors, who, who are the other teams that you follow? Follow and or work for or both. <laughs> who, who are you fans of? Fans. OK, well, you know, we all know, of course, the Warriors. That's easy. Uh, but I'm a San Francisco guy, so I'm going San Francisco 49ers. Uh, heart, heart, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a 49er faithful uh, since day one back in the day. San Francisco Giants, you know, of course, some baseball right there. But, but I am a fan of, I'm a fan of teams and their identities and like their history. Uh, there's a part of me that likes the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, why Pittsburgh? Huh? Um, my name is Franco, number one. So if you, you ever grew <laughs> up in the area, there's only one Franco that in the minds of NFL people, and that's Franco Harris. And right. So he, he made my name famous. Uh, not named after Franco Harris, by the way, <laughs> but that's my AFC team. So you could, you know, you could have an AFC team. Uh, and, and then, you know, it's just, uh, with sports teams, I actually worked with the other teams too. Like, yeah, I'm a Raider fan. How can you be a Raider fan and a Niner fan? Because I'm a Bay area guy and I worked for the Raiders for five years, had a TV show, did all the silver and black. I immersed myself in the culture. They embraced me out there. I was Warriors doing, I was doing Raiders and other stuff. And I was part of Raider Nation, man. I mean, I got Raiders gear as well as Niners gear. So I'm able to separate that. And they're like, you can't do that. I said, Why not? Can't we do that? I love the A's too. Bash Brothers back in the 90s. I mean, come on. Two Bay Area teams, the split hat. I mean, that's a Bay Area's dream. You know, you got to support the others. And plus, you know, the, the A's were more exciting to watch back then with Conseco and McGuire and who doesn't want to see that as a kid, right? And so I do like those sports teams. I appreciate franchises literally because of their history uh, and, and what they're about, like the Boston Red Sox. Like I'm more of a Bo Sox fan than a Yankees fan, but I just love Fenway and what that means and like all the back in the days of, you know, uh, Wade Boggs, Oil Can Boyd, Roger Clemens, Prejuice Clemens, you know, um, and, and that era. And so I just, I'm a fan of sports. Is that okay? I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a huge Vikings fan. I've uh, I moved out here to California from Minnesota, ah. so I brought the I brought the purple pride with me. Skull, um, <laughs> skull, baby. I was skull. at I was actually at the game where uh, Diggs caught that catch to beat oh the Saints. My, that was the miracle, and what they call it, the miracle. Minneapolis miracle. Woo! That was. Oh, it was how did that, unbelievable. How did that feel? How did that I saw feel? every emotion. In that game, because we the halftime we were up like twenty-one to zero, and then Drew Brees came back and picked us apart. I'm sitting there with a minute and a half left. We're gonna lose the game. There's a kid named Cody sitting in front of me with his dad. Cody is still doing the skull chant, and I'm thinking in my head, uh, Cody, we lost the game. Could you sit down and shut up, please? And then Diggs catches it. Thirty seconds left. Runs it in. Place goes absolutely nuts. I see I men, I men crying. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. That was prime time football too, man. Like that oh, was, it was like, Sunday night. 
Yeah, that was. I remember that. I, it was I, I, nuts, dude. So let me ask you this: Did you pull, did you pull out your phone, John, and, and, or did you enjoy the moment? No, I, I enjoyed the moment. <laughs> Good so for you. I, I got a Good couple. Of, I got a couple of pictures in U.S. Bank Stadium, but uh, no, it was uh, it was it was Good absolutely amazing. So that 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 was my Super Bowl as as a Vikings fan. Was That's to awesome. get to see uh, that. I, I love it, and, and hey, I have fans that are I have friends that are diehard Vikings fans. It's crazy. I, it's definitely because you know. I mean, Randy Moss is one of my favorite Vikings of all times back in the you know day, and I just got to work with him when he was a, a Raider for a minute. Uh, but man, the Vikings—are they ever gonna? You know, they, they have promising years, but they just can't get to the end. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully one of these days. But uh, yeah. I'm just gonna—I'm just gonna keep on uh, doing my skull chant and bleeding purple. There you go, man. Uh, hey, best of luck, but. Uh, you know, it, it, every NFL season, I, it's a start. I'm a Niner fan, so I, I, I'm, I'm convinced that I think I'm jinxing Super Bowl victories these last two years, okay? When I was a kid growing up, the Montana, Steve Youngs, hey, automatic, you go to Super Bowl, Niners win. The two Super Bowls I've been to, I literally went to New Orleans and Miami just most recently, and I'm 0 for 2, John. I, I'm beginning to think my friends are like, you, you can't go to Super Bowl. This is a childhood dream of mine. I want to see a Super Bowl. That's the only Bay Area team that I have not seen hoist, my teams, hoist a trophy live. The freaking Niners escape me every time. I'm 0 for 2. So I'm, I don't know. I've got to retire. I think right. I got to retire. So you, you tell me they go to the Super Bowl and you don't go. <laughs> Please. I mean, that ain't happening. It's not happening. <laughs> Let's be real. Come on. I've got to see this. Third time's a charm. That's right. <laughs> so um, you talked a little bit about it before when you're on the golf course. You kind of shut it down a little bit. But for the most part, is your motor always running? Are you an upbeat person that's going all the time? Or do you have some time where you go, okay, i got to shut this down. I need to recharge the batteries. Oh, yes. Uh, funny you say that. Uh, and unfortunately, when I have to recharge the batteries and, my, and, and then my wife wants a conversation, it's at home at, when I'm just trying to decompress. And my wife's like, how was your day? What did you do? I haven't seen you all day, all this stuff. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, yeah. One word answers. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and it's just uh, – I try, and my, my wife is really good about, you know, really try to make me smell the flowers. She loves to lounge, read books, smell flowers, do simple things. That's why I married her. She really is my yin to my yang because I, it, it's, it's hard. When you're on, people don't realize, like, it takes time to unwind that. When I get home from, I got a full-time job, Alaska. I'm Clark Kent by day doing the corporate thing, traveling, doing whatever. I got clients also in between. I got to squeeze in. And then I got to the arena and I got to get there early, like 5, 5.30 before game time, go over scripts, look over everything, all my hype stuff, voiceovers, you name it. And then you got the game and it's like stimuli everywhere. And then you go home about 10.30, you know, or so. And you're just like, um, damn, that was a hell of a game. My eyes were just going everywhere. And, you know, my wife's usually typically asleep, but when the time she's up and she's like, oh, how was the game? How was the thing? Like, it, it, I can't wind down. It's hard. Um, and it's, you, you're, it's like an on and off switch, but this on switch is like, it's like solar lighting. Like once it's lit, like you got to wait till like the sun is absolutely down and the system is like completely shut down before it really shuts down. Like 
it's hard even if you put the switch down um, to really wind down. So that's why golf has been my only sanity. Um, and, and I, I got to say, smoking cigars, you know, like that's been my new bad habit. But but really, I'm just enjoying kind of like the slow burn on a golf course, especially. But but cigars and golf uh, are my only kind of peaceful times, right, where you don't have to think about anything except for just what you're, t- you're going to hit up, what you're going to tee up. How's your game going to be? And then like just smoking this really slow cigar that takes almost like two hours just to burn one stick. Well, I'm a, I'm a cigar smoker. So what's what's your favorite stick? I got to tell you, I I love anything by my father's cigar. I love that. Love that stuff. Um, I just recently got some Cubans. I went to Mexico, San Miguel de Allende, a beautiful place, by the way. Um, And I got some Cubans, um, some Monte Cristos, uh, uh, Macanudos, um, I love, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still just kind of learning the, the, the cigar world. Uh, what do you, what do you like? I'm a big fan of the Arturo Fuente. The Fuentes are good. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, I like real light, smooth, anything, light anything, smooth. anything too, uh, too dark, too harsh. My head starts spinning. I'm like, ah, yeah, I, I didn't want to get a buzz off this. I just wanted to have a little smoke. Yeah, and it's good with, you know, a little whiskey, a little bourbon, whatever you got, um, a little dark. It just depends. I'm learning from my friends. My friends are by far more cigar connoisseurs, but I, I'm a casual, you know, we enjoy it. Like golf course, I'm sure you're smoking a bunch or oh, yeah. at least one, you know. But I, I find it too, John, like, because sometimes I end up like just being absent minded and I leave the, you know, my nice cigar that I've spent money on, on one of the tees. I'm like, crap, I forgot it. Uh, and then I forgot my cigar holder, you know, that goes on the cart. I'm going with the minis now. I mean, I know it's not quite maybe the, the full flavor that you might get from a full stick. I'm, I'm still learning that, but the minis, the, 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 uh, the nubs, if you will, it, oh, yeah. uh, are perfect for golf. Cause it's like, I don't have to rush and I finish it up, you know, several holes and it's not like following me the entire game. And then I lose it, you know, oh, I got a, uh, I got a lunchtime smoke. I got a dinner smoke, you know, oh, it's just like, you, 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 okay. Oh yeah. It's just, a, it's, a, it's, it's one of those things that just, I, I fell in love with my, my, my backstory is uh, coming up here in May. I've got seven years of sobriety. So okay. Congratulations. I, quit, I quit smoking cigarettes the same day that I quit drinking. So what I took up about a year into sobriety was cigars and uh, just, I, I've, I'm also not a connoisseur. But I just love grabbing a good smoke and sitting back with a friend, whether it's on a golf course or wherever it's at, and just enjoying myself. And okay. uh, I love cigars for that reason. Almost the same oh, way yeah. as like a, a really fine wine connoisseur, you know, can taste the earth, can taste all these different things. You can do the same thing with a cigar, and I just love it. Oh, I, I love it too. It, it, and it's just, you know, enjoying the finer things in life. Like it's, it's just like, there's just like wines and, and anything you can get into all the particulars about it, but that's why I'm kind of learning, you know, like, do I like Maduro, Robusto, like what kind of like cut, you know, what kind of, you know, do I like the torpedo ones? Do I like the small ones? You know, I'm just trying to, I'm trying things out. Um, and, and I, you know, you have your go-to favorites, but it's just like, I love the smell. Like oh, yeah. when you just smell it, you know, my humidor smells freaking amazing. I do that same thing. I grab one out and go, ah. Mm. Yes. <laughs> right? And that's that smell just kind of brings back some just mm, some good stuff. And the golf course, man, it's just, it's just, it's a must. Like, you know, you're waiting in between. It's just, 
you know, I'm feeling like Michael Jordan on a golf course, you know, uh, matter of fact, I got a photo of him back in my office here that, that, that right, right below there. It's tiger and, uh, and, uh, and Michael Jordan. Um, and then Michael's got a cigar in his mouth, but like the greatest of all times right there, the, both, both golf and basketball on the golf course. And, and I love that photo because it's just like, Oh yeah. Well, this speaking of the greatest of all time, I, one of the questions I had for you is what was it like being there for three championships with the dubs? I mean, that, that, that stretch of basketball for them, I mean, yes. it was ridiculous. It reminded me of being back in Illinois when um, the Bulls oh, were on that stretch. Yes. Because I, I didn't really watch basketball all that much coming out of high school, but when it was Pippen, Jordan, um, that whole team was um, Kerr. I mean, that, that whole team was amazing to watch. And yes. that team for the dubs reminded me of that kind of chemistry. What was it like for you being there in the middle of it? Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, you compared it correctly. I mean, that era of greatness, the championship run from 14 to 19, basically, like right there. I mean, look, we got three in five years. Should have been four, five in five years. I'll be honest. But that's another conversation. But that is, uh, <laughs> it, it's always the ones that you don't have that hurts, right? Right, right. Uh, Kobe Bryant, the great Kobe Bryant in an interview, I remember with Ahmad Rashad, said, man, you, you've, cut, you've been MVP, you've been this, you've got championship ring, you've got all of it. What's, what stands out to you the most in your illustrious career? He said, the ones that I didn't win. <laughs> and that is, you know, I'll always be embedded, but on the, on the positive end, um, witnessing that, it, it, it's really kind of weird because, you know, I've been there so long, you know, we were, had really dry spells of just horrible basketball, couldn't even crack 20 wins, like, like we were the bottom of the, of the league, like, like for a long time, you know, and a lot of sports fans feel that, like, look at the, like, you know, the Cleveland teams, the, the Browns, and the, you know, the ones that just never get the love. And then, well then, you know, and you, you as a hype man at that time, that's when you really earn your money. You nailed it because it's, it, it's the, it's, it's the, the scars, the battle, the battle that you had to do to hype up a crowd that had nothing to hype up. So <laughs> you had to perfect the craft. And if you can hype up, you know, bad basketball and just kind of find things to just keep people engaged and energized, you know, winning time, get free chalupas, score over a hundred points. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's really the excitement that we had back in the day, but that era on uh, that era, like you have to, I, I, I've taken a bunch of photos and I'm, you know, I, I want to archive as much as I can, but honestly, when you're in that moment, like it was go, go, go. Like we, our seasons were so long because we went postseason and we were having parades in June and then we'd start right back up in September like that five years I can only imagine what the players have to do and deal with to get rest and then not to say like that's what happened with all the injuries and stuff but man after that five-year run like something broke down and, and like unfortunately our team had to reset restart and and then you know people started leaving and it just but nothing lasts forever even the bulls you know the watching the last dance and all the stuff that they had to deal with but it was phenomenal. We had celebrities from every walk of life. I mean, the, the top people, the top performers, like we had a spotlight on the Bay. We were Hollywood for a minute. I was right there. So basically when I was doing my sideline stuff, I'm on the, on the court. I used to have all the room to roam around in the world. NBA finals. Oh my God. I had a little sliver. Franco, this is your <laughs> spot. You cannot move. I'm like, who are these 
people. Oh, that's uh, NBA China. Who's that? Oh, that's a blogger from Australia. Who's that? Oh, that's the so-and-so. That's ESPN. That's CBS. That's Fox. I'm like, this is insane. And, and you just try to soak it in. Um, but it was like a Super Bowl for five years for four straight series every single time. I mean, it was the talk of the town. So you were loved or hated, right? Just like any team, the Lakers, the Yankees, you know, all those great teams, the era, you either loved or you're hated. And it was just so awesome that the Bay, the San Francisco Bay Area had a huge, because we we came out the 10, 12, and 14 Giants winning championships. Oh, yeah. And we got the 15, 17, you know, 17, 18 uh, 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 Warriors. That's why it hurts when the Niners couldn't freaking close two freaking championships in that decade or two span. It just was like, come on, guys. We could have been a trifecta team around here. <laughs> but that's okay. We'll, we'll take it. I got the championship rings uh, to go with it. And I got to tell you, it's probably the best moment in my life. And my kids' kids and kids' kids will have hopefully – uh, Papa Franco's uh, rings to just pass down from generation to, to just captivate what, what an era uh, that was. And so, yeah, man, really. Yeah. Cool. It was, it was, it was fun to watch as, as a non fan because I, I just, I, I literally, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> I watch as a person who's just like, uh, if it's other than Vikings football, I just don't have time for it. Yeah, I will watch it just like I watched that show, The Last Dance, you know, about the Bulls. And it was so fun to go back and watch. But I didn't care about that team either. It was just (laughs) it's so fun. It's like a soap opera watching these amazing, talented teams go through what they have to go through. And then with The Last Dance, when you had to see what they had to go with, go through with Rodman. And, uh, you know, when he went to Las oh, Vegas yeah. and they had no clue. It's just oh, like oh, yeah. the stuff going on behind the scenes of these teams is crazy. And you imagine that had no social media at the time. Like none. That, none. And, and, and there was all that uncovered drama that we're finding out now. And, and that, I think that's the beauty about sports. I'll be honest. You know, sports is what people what, what I think brings every color, background, ethnicity, you name it, like you root for your team. And that's why sports is just the ultimate tie-in. And and I'm so happy and honored to be in sports for 20 plus years and counting because it's, it's, it it really is the ups, the downs. And we, people don't realize half of my career, 10 years have been garbage. Like couldn't win crap. Couldn't even crack the playoffs. People remember the good stuff because yeah, I mean, championships, kind of erase everything, but it's the, it's the journey to be honest for me, that's special because when you are with a franchise that you're just like, Oh, April 15th. Oh, it's tax day. Oh, the season's over too. We'll see you. Have a great summer. We'll see you in the fall. I mean, that's, that's how we work. Don't like, forget I, your free chalupa. Don't forget your free chalupas on your exits. <laughs> you know? And, and that's the funny thing about it. Like I was planning vacations, literally like, Usually the season would end like April 15th. Man, I had a, I, sometimes I had a flight on the night of, a red eye, or a 16th, uh, April 16th, and I was gone on vacation just because I know that the commitment for a season is a, it, it is a long time. A lot of games, 41 home games, appearances, and everything. But after the playoff runs, I was like, wait, are we round one? Are we the top seed? I mean, it was going through April, May, June. And so it was a moving target, and it was uh, it was nuts to kind of organize that life. Uh, with your full time, your job, everything else. But I, I survived it. 
I would ne never trade it for the world, but it's that journey and just kind of seeing all that. That's, I think, the priceless moments. Because then when you can compare the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it's, it's a career. It's a career. You know what I mean? Like, that was a hell of a career. And I'm still going for as long as I can for now. Let's see what happens when I have kids. Like, a two, two and a half year old will probably <laughs> change the game for me. <laughs> well, this, this leads well into my next question, which is uh, when I was looking at your LinkedIn page, uh, there's got to be five different jobs on there that go from start date to present. So I know a lot of people like myself and like yourself, we have, we're juggling a lot of different things. So I would like you to go into a little bit to help out some of our listeners and viewers. Yeah. How do you keep everything in the air without dropping a ball? What, what, what have you perfected in your life that can help other people who might be listening? Yeah. And that's, and that really, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I'll be honest back in the day. And sometimes I'm a late bloomer with technology. I love technology. We talked about this uh, before the podcast here, but, but sometimes I was so stuck in old school. Like I used to have, a, I still have copies of it, but my calendar was like handwritten that I, I miss that because I, you know, when I would juggle all the multiple things, I would handwrite in this planner that was kind of my Bible. I kept with me. And it kept me on track. I even wrote little notes on the side, but like that for me, uh, I don't know about this next generation here, but that helped me keep things in focus. Because when I write something, when I put pen to paper, it's ingrained in my head. I mean, everyone's programmed differently. Um, and, and I was able to juggle that stuff because I would literally look at the month's worth, you know, those day planners, remember those old, old oh, school? Yeah. And, and I still like, part of me misses it because I could look at my life in a month span and say, holy moly, this <laughs> is insane. Or, right. oh, I have some holes here to fill. Or I got some time here. And, and I would handwrite every single appointment, meeting, and everything. Now it's all in the palm of my hand. But really, it, now and I, I can't look back. Like, this is my life. Like, I, can, I don't even want to write down all the stuff I'm doing anymore because my hand would fall off because I have so many. I'm more busier than I ever was. 10, 15 plus years ago. But really, honestly, the, the, the trick is, I mean, obviously everyone has their own ways, but I, I look at everything, not just, I, I talk about the big picture. People can get overwhelmed by the big picture. Mm -hmm. You hear this a lot. You got to compartmentalize sometimes and you almost have to have horse blinders and just like, I've had days, John, like yesterday was insane. I, I never had every hour booked on the hour. Now with Zoom and technology, you don't even have like a five minute grace period to like get a sip of water or even grab a bite. Like, Oh, 12 to one. Are you free? Yeah, I'm free. I mean, that's my lunch hour. Like, what am I going to eat at some point? Where am I going to go to the bathroom? Like you need a grace period. And so I've learned that I'm getting better at it. I'm not perfect, but you do have to give yourself like the times in between, but then you also have to look at the big picture because you can get overwhelmed and say, oh my God, I got the Alaska thing. I got a deadline by here. I got the game tonight. Like if I'm thinking about the game in the daytime when I'm doing my other jobs or talking to my clients and just thinking about all the extra stuff, then you're already bogged down with, with right. just, you, you've already set yourself up for failure. So you really have to just be horse blinders with just this. You got to look at, okay, I might have 10 things going on right now. But I got to go to one, finish, then I can go to two, then three, then four, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think that for me has helped just compartmentalize and just um, kind of don't get overwhelmed by like, I got so much. And that's the easy thing to do, right? 
You just got to go one thing at a time. I used to go old school with post-its. You know, I had these dang post-its written on a wall. Man, it looked like a whole mosaic. I mean, it was like an art piece. So, you know, I, could, I took a whole frame. I took a whole wall, but I had it. And then I just, one by one, I used to have like, okay, well, this is job one. I'm going to remove this. Look at that. I got wall space. Then I started, oh, I tackled this. Even more wall space, three, four, five at a time. So I'm a very visual person. So when I can uncover that one by one and reveal and not get bogged down by the big, big project and pictures, that's just going to be like, oh, crap, I got all this to do. That was my sanity. Uh, and that really helped me. I loved what you said about putting pen to paper. <clears throat> because yeah. uh, as, a, as a vocalist, as a singer, as a musician – Sometimes learning lyrics of songs, the best way to do it is to sit there and actually write them down right. because as yep. soon as you do, it's in your memory. And uh, now with all of the iPads and all the different tools they have where you can actually just put the lyrics up there yeah, and read them, you yeah. never memorize them. <laughs> never right. once. So it's uh, I appreciate you uh, going into some of that. Because when I looked at your... Um, LinkedIn and saw the different jobs. I'm like, how do you keep all this stuff going? And, and the crazy thing is, I mean, that's just the ones I put out on LinkedIn. Like, <laughs> I, I, you know, you, you have, you know, we, you all know that you have, you, you have a brand, you have an image, like you, you can't move too much here, too much there. Like if, if I show too much stuff at Alaska about warriors and side stuff, it's like, are you doing your job? Like, right, right, right. Sure. I get it done. I mean, I just do it in my own way, but you know, and then if I do warrior stuff and I start talking about all the extras, it's like, are you focused here? So that's why you have to kind of balance and you pick and choose what you have to promote and put out there. And I'm looking even at my social bills. I'm like, Ooh, this is a little too much warriors here. I, I, I gotta, I gotta talk about an announcement that uh, we're ha having a new lounge at Alaska airlines. Let me put that as my next post balance every two to three warriors. Then you put, you know, you put Alaska and then you put your auctions, but it's hard to say though, but people, my brand has been the warriors guy. You know, I find that there's more people following me that care more about what's the hype man doing. What's your routines like? What's the game look like? Tell me the behind. That's what people want to see. That's where my likes go up and stuff. And then they're like, well, Oh, Alaska is new one else. That's great. Some of it will get good stuff. My nonprofit stuff will get decent. Like, Oh, frankly, you're doing great in the community. But it's all promotion and hype, right? And and it's uh and that's where I'm just like, man, I miss the days where you just kind of do the work and you don't have to show it anymore. Like like, but it's like it, now in our day, you know, not to sound like the old guy again, but it's like if it didn't if you didn't show it on on social media, then it never happened. And that is sad reality of today because if you don't post it or if you don't share it or someone doesn't see it, you know, they it never happened. But then what about that self? happiness like i just did a freaking awesome event with this celebrity like for me wasn't that enough enjoyment but no i have to share it well mostly in it. today's pandemic shutdown world you know hopefully we're coming out of it soon yeah but mostly today if you don't post it it actually yeah. didn't happen it didn't happen right you know which is crazy but what i was thinking about when you were talking was yeah in in, in the positions that we're in today, yeah. where you're actually doing your job, you're kicking ass, you're taking names, you're doing it right, no one really questions anymore. 
What I would say is to anybody who's listening to this, who's maybe going on interviewing for a new position or doing whatever, kind of keep it to a minimum when you're talking about the things that you're passionate about, aside from the job you're interviewing for. Because there's, as soon as you talk about, I love the Warriors, or I love the Vikings, or I do this, or I do that, they're like, well, are you going to do your job, though? You know, once you once you come through for that employer or that person you're working for, none of the rest of that matters. They'll let you do whatever the hell you want to do. But until you prove yourself, you might want to keep it to a minimum. Right. Right. And, you know, and and the thing is, you know, um, I've survived in this business, to be honest, because, you know, I, I don't fanboy. Uh, when it, I mean, Steph Curry's there. He's like, what's up, Frank? I said, what's up, Steph? Like, yeah, they're big freaking celebrities. Um, but when I'm there, I do my job. Right. I get in there. So my advice to young people, if you're listening right now, young people, and I'm just, you know, giving advice as an elder statesman, been in the game for 20 plus years, definitely follow your passion. Do what you want to do. Like, I mean, imagine getting paid to do what you want to do every day. Like, you, you, you feel like you never, never worked a day in your life. Like, exactly. I don't feel like I'm working when I'm at the Warriors, right? But there's also, I do have a limitation. You know, I'm on the court. I've got access. I'm not going to bust out with an autograph and, like, just kind of break out of character because I'm a job. My job is to hype it up in the transition videos and whatever as a host. But I'm not going to kind of break that plane and say, hey, Steph, sign my sneakers, sign that. Like, you just <laughs> got to have that balance. And, and I just hope, I hope. The young folks out there, when they have a job, and like, hey, create your own enterprise, create your own brand. That's more power to you. But uh, you know, I just, you know, hopefully people don't lose the art of eh, what, what do I say? Like, just kind of like manners and like etiquette in terms of handling business, because business is still business. Okay, just because you could do it at home and do all this stuff, and yeah, we're in a different era. Business is still business. The, the soft skills like relationships. Don't burn relationships. Don't burn bridges. Always keep, you know, my, my dad, my late grad, great dad told me, you just, you just dress up for every occasion. Like, it, like if you're going in for an interview, it's better to be overdressed than to be underdressed. That first impression, regardless of what job you are today or yesteryear, is still going to be a, a, a thing, you know? You don't show up to a job interview with, with flip-flops, shorts, and whatever. Yeah, you can do it below, but they don't, you know, for Zoom interviews, but just look, look presentable at the top, right? Right. Um, but, but that image and that brand kind of like that first impression, that stuff is, it, it still holds true to today. So I just hope that people that can really, you know, when they're applying for stuff or creating their own opportunities, like you are what your brand is. And so you come out with like sloppy and people are going to think you're sloppy. You know, exactly. like you just got to look at everything with, you know, perfection with gloves like if you love it and it's your craft just like me when i'm doing a, a, an event believe it or not I, I do watch instant replay like my stuff like you know you go to the film room you know the vikings the niners i'm sure you know they got film for days what did last game look like how did you sound what did you play i do the, i used to do a lot of that in my early career because i was starting out i'm looking at my broadcasters the personalities i'm comparing and I watch tape. People hate watching themselves on tape, right? Or hearing themselves. You know, that's oh, I hate hearing myself on the radio or hearing myself on tape. But I don't, I don't, I don't hate hearing myself or watching myself. Maybe, maybe, like I'm, maybe, maybe I'm too much of a fan of myself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you should be the number one of your fan club. Okay? I, mean, I mean, if no one is going to do it, you're going to do it, right? But no, it's true. But like some people, are like oh my god, the recording. I just don't want to see myself. For most part, people, yeah, except for like, I actually like it too. I'm with you, John. 
Um, because for me, I need that feedback. I'm like, oh, that was too many ums. That was too many crutches there. I'm using in that thing. There, you weren't flowing right. Like I'm an auctioneer. Like I'm, I'm, I'm improving even to this day. I've been doing this for a long time. But dude, I need to make sure that I'm delivering and I'm not stuttering and I want to perfect my craft like anything else. So um, it is pretty cool just to look back now and then, you know, if there's any, you know, I love speaking to the youth, by the way, that's something I know we haven't talked about, but um, you know, I, I never had brothers or sisters growing up. Uh, I was an only child. And, I'm an only and, child as well. So I was going to throw that in there too. Fist bumps, <laughs> Boom. Baby. So let me ask you this. Did you, now looking back, like and then looking as a child too, did you like it or did you hate it? I loved it. Me too. No, I, well, I had I, loved I had it to a certain degree, but why, I had why, why cousins that I was really close to. Me too. And they were like my siblings. I always hated going home when I left them. Dude, that's a sick. I never, oh I never wanted yeah. to leave. You know, so it's like whenever I had to go home, I was very sad. But when I got home, I was good to go. Then I never yeah. had to share anything with anybody else. You know. Wait, you know what? We actually share a very special bond as only children. Uh, there's, you know, there's other people in the world, uh, I believe, and I've done some research. I think Joe Montana is an only child, my favorite. Mahatma Gandhi is an only child, too. Um, and there's a bunch of folks, if you look it up, only children. And I'm not saying we're, we're the best, but hey, we are the best. We're the Why best. Not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> we're only children. All the focus is on us. But, but there's been great leaders and people that... Um, there's something to be said about only children. Hey, having siblings is all good too. I mean, like you said, John, when I was going home after all the cousins and outing and everything, that was probably the saddest part for me. Just that ride home. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm having so much fun. But then you find ways to occupy yourself. You're creative. I'm sure that's why you're doing multiple things. I think that really helped shape who we are because we found things to do. We like certain things we do whatever. And, and you know, maybe never stopped. Uh, uh, just being kind of active in your imagination, your mind. So I love being an only child. Um, and, and, and I got a lot of opportunities, you know, resources, man, like not a lot of people would get, would get. And, and so I'm thankful for that. Um, well, let me ask you a question because I've written a book right now. It's, it's being finished here right now. It's called true ambition as well. And it yeah. kind of goes back through And I was looking at my life and I saw that Throughout my life, I've pretty much gotten along with everybody in my life. I've, I've really had very few enemies. You know, it's been, I almost looked at myself in some ways as a chameleon where I could fit in in any situation I wanted to be in. Uh, when I was younger, it was a lot yes. with older people, you know, because that's who yes. I had a chance to. And that, that's, that's who would really accept me and you know put up with the bratty little kid over here that wanted to be part of something yeah. but you were adaptable you were adapting exactly and that's the you word are you my brother from another mother man because you <laughs> literally stole that line in my in my in my uh my you know my arsenal here like that is i've said that exact what you've said to the t when's your birthday by the way may 3rd 1972 Okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm March baby. I'm March 23rd. Well, happy birthday! Thank you, thank you, my friend. Uh, March 23rd, 1977. So we got like what five years apart? Exactly. And, and you got the three. Said May 3rd. Yeah, May 3rd. I'm a Taurus. Oh, oh I, and I like the number three. By the way, I love the number three. I, I bet you, you love the number three. I do. 
and I love the number 23 because it's my birthday, but March is three and I'm a numbers guy too. It's so funny that you say the same thing. And I tell people, and, and we, we got lucky that we decided to be chameleons and adapt, talk to adults. I remember talking to adults as a young kid. I performed as a young kid for my family. There was just all adults in my house. And, and you know, my cousins were not there at the time. And I would just be an entertainer. I, I literally put, put my grandma's freaking, uh, you know, robe, uh, the, the belt and put it on my headband. And I was the Bee Gees back then the Bee Gees were, <laughs> were the thing. And so I was, I was Barry Gibb, man, uh, uh, performing in front of my, just my small immediate family, like aunts and, and my parents and things like that. But it was, uh, just that attention, you know, and you know, you could really probably hide in a shell if you're an only person and you don't make friends, you can either go one end or the other end. Right. But it sounds right. like you and I have the same we're saying cloth because I felt the chameleon word I've used so many times because you just got to adapt. And that's what I do with my own career is I'm a chameleon too. Like, you know, you put your IT guy hat on, right? When you're, you're doing your IT thing. And then when you're doing your podcast, you got, it's John Zink, the other guy, you got musician guy. It's another hat. Well, you, you um, have, you have to know your audience. Got to know your audience, you know? And it's like going out and being prepared for whatever you're going to do. So yes. it's like what I was talking about before, learning the lyrics, being prepared for a presentation, knowing the person you're presenting to, you know, that people can see right through you. If you're not prepared for something, I'll be the first one where a bead of sweat starts coming right here. Oh like, yeah. Oh no. Somebody can see that I'm sweating right now, you know, and then you just know that they know you're a fraud. Yeah. If you're not prepared, you're not if prepared. I'm prepared for something, I will slay it and I will win every time, whether I win the business whether I win the crowd, whether you, you can't win everybody. You can't please everybody all the time. But if you're doing your very best, then you've already won. You've already won. And I love that's great advice. And they say, what is that? 99% preparation, 1% perspiration. Right. It, it's the prep work, baby. Like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put your dog. And then, you know, people come up to me and I say, Franco, uh, I want to be like you, man. I want to be the hype man for the warriors. Like here, like, how do I get your job? <laughs> Basically. Um, are you even willing to do the steps that I had to do? You know how many, you know how many little, little, little small time, little rodeo things I had to do, like little gas station openings and like, you know, grocery store, this, like those little piddly hour two events that were just like, I don't, do I have to be here for a grand opening of a bank? Really? Like I got to hype this up. Uh, yeah, that all helped me put notches on my belt to say, all right, am I ready for the big, I didn't just jump into the big leagues. Well, that's, you that's know. why I kind of said before, because We've all been in those bands or those situations. I always go back to band because that's what I know. Playing in front of Ed, my keyboard player is here right now. We played at a place called, um, oh, what was it called? Don Quixote's out in, it's like out by Santa Cruz somewhere. And literally the night before we played in San Francisco to a sold out crowd, there's like 300 people in a place that holds 200 people. The following night we're out by Santa Cruz we played to seven people, <laughs> you know, but you still have to bring it. You, you know, bring it. you bring it as if the place is packed yeah, because those seven people that are there want to see a show. And you know what? I love how you said that because uh, if you ever watch or hear one of, or there's a book, I think is Michael Jordan. He was so great at what he did. We knew that, but you know what he said? He goes, I wasn't performing for just the, the people that were courtside, VIPs, or that. I had my, I was doing my basketball, my performance 
for the last guy in the last row who paid however much money to sit there to watch me perform. That last guy in the last row. Right. That's who I'm performing for. And, and, and yeah, he had obviously thousands and millions of people watching him every given night. But it was just that that attention to like, hey, you got that. You have to perform. But he was thinking about that one guy who paid hard, a lot of hard money. And, and, and his money probably just, you know, couldn't afford it. But he said, I'm here to watch Michael Jordan. Well, heck, he was up there in the top rafters and nosebleeds. And he performed for that. And I love that because you have to adjust as an artist or a performer or anybody. Like, you just got to know your crowd. And then you got to know just, you know, you're a professional. So you got to go through the whole thing. Nobody wants to have that product, right? But people are, somebody's paying you to perform and do something. Well, you have to deliver, you know, and, and you got to find that nice, nice balance. Because I've done, we've all done events that were like, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> why am I at the Don Quixote right now? There's only seven people. Or why? Why am I at this venue? And literally, I had three upset grandpas. I said, turn the music down, you radio, loud mouth. I've gotten that before. Grocery store, like appearances for some kind of promotion when I was doing Disney stuff. It was midday. So who else is shopping? Grandma, grandpa, old, you know, older folks. You're too loud. Turn that <laughs> crap off. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm just perfecting my craft, sir. And the, hey, I got a fan out of you. Look at that. I'm going to turn you one day next week. I got you. <laughs> um, but anyways, that, 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 that's great, man. You, you, you just got to do it. And, and that's why I tell people like you, if you can perform and you have to literally be in front of an audience and, and this virtual stuff is even harder because you don't see the, you know, the energy, right? Like that's why I'm successful as an auctioneer is no matter in person, which is obviously I got energy, but even in this little camera we're looking at right now, my job is to co talk to you on the other side and feel like you're in the room with me. And like right now in our conversation, I feel like you're just hanging out with me right now. You know, because you, you know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. And we're just having a natural conversation, but we're also genuine and we're also translating it through the camera. And not, and not everyone can do that. Not everyone can have that skill. And you're like, uh, I'm online. Like, uh, uh, like, <laughs> you know, and it just depends, you know? Um, and, and so, yeah, a lot of learned lessons here, man. It's been awesome. Well, you touched you touched on a little bit earlier. Um, what? Uh, how long ago did you lose your dad? Uh, two, yeah, twenty eighteen now, almost three. I and guess. What, yeah. Can Can you talk about what happened? Or sure, sure. Actually, it's a really it's a kind of a poetic story. Um, well, he died at eighty five, and that's how I got my Finn last name. By the way, he, he was my stepdad, and then my mom uh, remarried an Irish fella, Finn. Franco Finn is my real name, but I'm a Filipino, Italian, French-speaking dude with an Irish last name. That is a true story. I've got all these backgrounds. But uh, George Finn was a great man. Uh, you know, um, he's, he's Irish and by, you know, by nationality and descent. But, um, you know, his family moved out here. And long story short, he was he lived a good life, 85 years, born in 1932. Um, but he really instilled a lot of those kind of old school values. He worked for one company in his entire life. Chevron, which was Standard Oil back then, where gentlemen dressed up, no matter what role, hat, coat, tie, shirt, like the old school, like I'm a working class man, right? So he taught me like, you know, first impressions, dress up. I've been overdressed for interviews for years, but I stand out, that's for sure. And I came professional and ready to go. Um, but 
yeah, even to all the way to his death, like he was just kind of supportive of what I did. I mean, you know, adopted a kid basically in essence and, and said, Hey, I'm going to give you a good private education school and everything. But the values are so priceless. Even the day, literally the day he died that day, I had an auction, I had a gig, you know, he was kind of in his, his bed and he was like, thank you. Telling me like, wow, thank you for, you know, taking care of your mother. Thank you for everything. I'm like, why are you thanking me? I'm, I should thank you for getting the foundation. But it was kind of like his, his like exit speech, you know, kind of like, Hey, I lived a good life. It's your turn now. Do what you have to do. And just said a goodbye, not knowing that that was going to be the last time I would have seen him alive. But I did an event, did the whole thing, literally two days after my birthday. It was the 25th, so I always remember that. But I look at it as not a, a tragedy. I actually look at it as like a celebration of like, hey, he died in his own house on his own terms. Natural, by the way. Didn't smoke, never drank. He was clean as a whistle. He was just a you know an 85-year-old man that just, it was time for him to go. And he lived a good life and he, uh, you know, grew up in the depression era, but those values, the old school, the hard earned dollar, you know, I'll close with this with my dad because the, the you know, the, my first $5, I don't know about you, but I framed mine. <laughs> uh, my first paycheck was a $5 bill from a neighbor next door. She said, she, she had a messy yard. She's like, I'm old. I can't do this. My dad volunteers me and says, oh, my son will do it. And I was like, oh, okay. Cause she'll pay you. <laughs> She'll pay you for it. Man, that was five hours of backbreaking work. I, mean, I was cleaning her yard, putting all these cattails in there. It was just like mess. And then I go, okay, Mrs. Brisling, uh, I'm done. I, I think your backyard is clean. And, and George said uh, he should help. My dad's George. She goes, well, thank you, young man. I really appreciate it. I was like, oh, payday. Here you go. She gave me $5, man. Five freaking dollars. Well, you know what? I didn't spend that $5. Nope, I didn't. That $5 was framed. I wrote the date down. I got paid to do a job. And that was the first transaction money for what I did. So I valued the dollar right back then when my dad signed me up. And I will never forget. That's why my work ethic is pretty, you know, I got a strong work ethic. And I juggle a lot because I know every dollar, every breath, every you name it is going to translate to something. And that's why I've been successful. And, and, and really, in the end, that's a really hard-earned lesson because that $5 meant more to me than anything else. It was back-breaking work. Man, it was outside. It was freaking horrible. $5, man. I earned it, but I freaking earned it. And well, so we, that, we, we might be you know, brothers from another mother because my adopted name is Zink. Oh, so, okay. Um, my dad, Rich Zink, adopted me when I was a year and a half old. He okay. married, married my mother. Wow. And instilled in me same kind of values, you know. Yeah. And if it weren't for Rich Zinc adopting me, then I wouldn't be where I'm at today. You know, wow. so it's like, yeah, God, the universe, whatever steps up and just puts all these angels in our oh. lives yes. to make things come out the way they are. So you and I can sit here and have this conversation and maybe somebody else can hear you and I talking and take it and do something with their lives as well. You know, so it took George and it took Rich Zink to come into your life and my life for us to be here and have this conversation and maybe do something yeah. good for somebody else down the line. I love that. I love that, John. And you know what? I, 
I'm a very spiritual person too. I mean, I honestly, I, I wouldn't be on this planet. If there's something that's, you know, not to get too into that, but we have a purpose in, in life. And like you said, the rich, the Georges to, to have an opportunity. Like if, if we didn't have that figure that kind of had the guiding light, like, well, we, you know, I got an angel forever now. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm here today because my, my dad's still watching over me. I still take care of my mom. People don't realize like I, I juggle a lot. But I'm, but I'm at home. I live with my mom, and, um, who I take care of. She's my only one. She's 75 in a wheelchair, you know, and, and, and is disabled. But but I wouldn't take it any other way. Yeah. What, el- what else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? And that's 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 my rock, you know, like I, I wouldn't be here today. And so, you know, we make it work and we balance that that work. Like, like I said, I talk about, but that the values, though, like, you know, instilling like that. I miss that old school. And I, hopefully when I have kids one day, I'm going to have a little bit of George, you know, that that really has that kind of that foundation, uh, the humbleness, um, because because you, you earn everything you do. Like I, I was never like I mean, I've spoon fed a lot of things because I'm the only child. We can relate to that. But I still took the opportunities and, and ran with it. And I'll end, I'll end with this one on George because th- this was another job that really, I wouldn't be a hype man, if, honestly, if it wasn't for him, uh, for my dad, George, because uh, he signed me up to be the youngest lector at my local church just down the block, St. Anne's. And let me tell you, I was 13. And you talk about being petrified to talk <laughs> to a congregation on Sunday to read a scripture. Like, this is like the holy word like you got to do i mean this is uh, this is not just any like reading he signed me up without even me knowing so he knew a friend there in the church local church and he's like my, my son's got a good voice he, he he i think he'd be a good lector i'm like what'd you sign me up for he goes yeah you're reading on sunday by the way for the three o'clock mass i said me by myself like yeah who else is going to read this script like you're going to read it i got you the i and so you know what in hindsight I tell you, that was my first gig. <laughs> I was reading in church, and I never thought that reading something that was on paper that I practiced a lot because I was like, I got to read this right. I got to bring this to life. I did that at school and I, every reading. You know, people say, does anyone want to read this excerpt? All the kids are always like, I don't want to do it. I, don't do it. I was like, yeah. Okay, anyone else besides Franco want to read this? <laughs> Dude, I had right? that same thing happen to me. Anybody else? Anybody except for Zinc? Anybody else except for Zinc? Anybody else? <laughs> and they're like, uh, okay, fine. Fine, go <laughs> ahead. Go ahead. Do it again. You know exactly what I'm talking about, but it's that extra, give it to me. I, I'll do it. I'm going to bring this to, I'm going to do the best darn reading I can, I can do right now. And I did that at church. I honestly, I started right there and I, I I never thought that that career that I have now being a public speaker started right there at the foundation. Um, and my dad, that, that it kind of comes back to that was he pushed me to do something that was not comfortable, but that uncomfortableness helped build the character and the person that I am today. I got a great story about Rich Zink. So I went in fifth grade, fifth grade in Mount Carroll, Illinois is when you get to start playing in the band. I'd already been playing drums for years, right? So I go in, my last name is Zinc, so they do everything alphabetically. You're at the end. I'm at the end. (laughs) All the drum positions had already been handed out or taken by the kids, right? So they said, sorry, no drums left. Here's your trumpet. I'm like, (laughs) trumpet? So I'm like, I I play drums. Nope, no drums. Take the trumpet. So I go home. I'm crying to my dad. I'm like, trumpet? He goes, no, no, I'll take care of it. So he went in the next day. He goes, 
This kid's playing the drums. He already has a drum set. He's playing the drums. So the, by the end of the day, I had my drum and I took it home and I was playing the drums. Swear to God. Wow. You know, he just took care of it. And it was just like, ah, uh, that's, that's how you get things. And it, I, I learned something from that as well. Know what you do. Do it. Do not let somebody else tell you that you're going to do something else. Because I love the drums. It's one of my favorite that's things you, to do. That's you wanted that. Yeah. It, sit right? down and play. And I, I've been playing drums since I was, you know, five years old on Blue Bonnet dr- uh, butter dishes with pencils at the table because I've always been a drummer. But it was my dad who stepped up and said, bullshit, he's playing the drums. That's awesome. And think about it now. That, li- that moment. Back in the day, that little moment kind of opened up a trajectory for you because he just said, I'm opening that door. Like, he just kind of introduced. So without the riches and the Georges in the world, like, it really shapes who we are. You think about it. Like, little things like that. But now you, here you are play, playing drums. Like, you should. Because that the, was your passion. Those people step up and do things they don't have to do yeah. and adopt kids like us yeah. who need them so badly. And, 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 and that's the best thing. And that's what I hope to do, you know, with people and people, people, you know, kids, you know, there's a lot of kids out there that I help mentor and all that stuff, you know, underserved families and whatnot. And they just want like someone like a brother or, or some kind of figure to kind of just believe in them. Right. Cause, cause, cause that's really all it takes is someone to believe in you, your talent to get the gig, to get the hype man job, to get whatever it is in life. Just, you just want someone to believe in you because you know, you know that you, you may not know, but you, you, you think you know that you have everything that it takes. But, but that extra endorsement that someone said, no, 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 my son's going to do this. Like you need that little extra push to get into that, you know, spotlight or that, you know, whatever role you have to do. And, and, and just the belief, you know, and and I think that's what a lot of us are lucky to be doing what we do because someone believed in you. You believe in yourself, number one, first off. You got to believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. And then it just takes a little bit, just a little bit to crack a door open. And then the door gets wider and wider. And then all of a sudden you're a pro. Like who, who, who thought that, you know, you're, you're fulfilling a dream. And, and that's the thing. And I, I value the hard work though, because I tell them, you know, I said, I go back to the, like the, the youth, the kids and stuff. Cause it's not just going to be handed in a silver platter. Like you got to still have an, a work ethic and drive um, and a humble pie. You need humble pie because it, it, it's not just all going to be given to you and stuff. Like I just, it, you, you can't be entitled. That's well, the, you, you're, you're yeah. around these athletes all the time. Yeah. I mean, you see the work that they put in. Oh, and that's why Steph Curry to me is, is not just the greatest of all time, you know, it, but it's that work ethic, but it's also his humbleness too. I mean, every superstar is different in his own way, but what I love about Steph is he's very grounded. He just beat Wilt Chamberlain. He just surpassed Wilt Chamberlain as the high, uh, the highest scoring warrior in franchise history. He's up where with the greats, like in the and he's still playing, you know. But he's got this work ethic and humbleness, and um, you know, not everyone can have that. His drills, his practice drills alone, that's why it's a spectacle. What he does with dri- dribbling with two balls, and then he does this. He has a routine down, and it must be mundane every night. But that's why he can do these floaters from wherever. He can do half-court shots because he's practiced that arc and that movement and that touch every single time. It's like it's going in 90% of the time. He's changed the game. And, and, and that's why I think people don't maybe not give him the full respect right now, but I'm telling you, when he retires, they're going to say, 
was probably one of the greatest, like the Michael Jordans of the world, or even the Tiger Woods of the world. Like you, you just compare to any great uh, person. And that's all we can do is strive to be that way. You know, we got, we've got to have a role model of some kind of a bar. Um, look how many millions of Steph Curry's are coming out uh, of the woodwork. You, I guarantee you these kids are like, Steph Curry from half court and they're making it. You know, they're practicing it. And that's how we are. I'm a football player. I was Joe Montana. I was like, cool Joe, two-minute drill. Oh, yeah, easy bucket. Oh, here we go. Easy, easy, two-minute touchdown. That's why I wanted to be a quarterback, but I sucked, so I, I couldn't be <laughs> Did you play football? Did you play sports, by the way? Uh, I, I'm a big guy. I'm like 6'3", 280 pounds. And, so you were a drummer, uh, that, that, but, but you like sports, though. I, I was a horrible football player. I, I, <laughs> I, I, my, my football player, my, my football coach in this small town where I grew up was super excited about this big kid coming in like, yeah, until I on. put on a helmet and shoulder pads, and I was afraid to hit and afraid to get hit. <laughs> so uh, I'm with you. Bad, bad combination. You know, but, so yeah, but, but uh, the thing is, a drummer though, you 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 have to have a mindset. That's probably you're good at multitasking because you've got one thing doing one thing and then another. Do- like that's hard to separate your brain like that. Well, you got four appendages doing four different things at the same time, you know. And then I was a singer at the same time, so there's a bunch of songs that I had to learn where you've got your appendages doing one thing and then a whole different um, uh, melody going on in your head. It's it's crazy, but that it's such such an addiction once you get into it. And then once you learn all those things, the muscle memory never goes away. So there's songs that I learned 30 years ago that I can sit down and play and sing today. At any point. Same wow. thing, but it's the same kind of work ethic. If it's something you absolutely love, just like you said earlier in the podcast, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, that is the truth. That is the truth. So we, we've gone on here a long time, so I want to end the podcast the same way we end every one of these True Ambition podcasts. Um, True Ambition is taken from a quote that I learned uh, about five, six years ago that says that true ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. When I learned that, uh, when I read that, I kind of learned that maybe my ambitions were pointed in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Ambitions to get power, to get money, to get girls, to get whatever it was that was for John. What I tried to do was change my ambition into be for the greater good. When I did that, my life got a lot better. So you've been a lot of places. You've done a lot of things. You're a little bit older and wiser than you were before. So moving forward in your life, in your personal life and in your career, what are your true ambitions moving forward? And I love how you close with this, John, because I agree 150% and a million percent of what you just talked about because ambition, like it's evolved, right? I mean, I mean, hey, look, you're young, you have interests, things like that. My connecting my, 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 my evolution has always been one thing. It has always been very positive. I want to influence people in a positive way. Use my gifts, my talents, my God-given gifts, whatever this opportunity, this platform for the greater good. And that is really why I'm loving my uh, commitment to fundraising as an auctioneer because I am literally, this is the only job I can actually tell you, John. I love my other jobs. I, don't, I love doing what I do. But at the end of the day, when I'm an auctioneer and I just raised, you know, 
hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, every organization, whatever it is, and I've connected people to this cause, got them to give in a fun way, but engage. At the end of the day, I hang my hat and I just raise money for whether it's youth development, whether it's homeless, whether it's, you know, all the millions of, of, of organizations that I, I, I truly care. And I put it my, my heart on my sleeve. I don't just do an event just to do an event. I find why they hired me, number one, because of the energy, but I'm going to connect with the audience on the other side. And that to me is going to be, is, is really, I, I think is going to be my, my, my sunset, if you will, to my, next chapter in life. Um, I've done a lot in 20 years and I'm going to continue to do as long as I can do. But when I have a child and a kid, which I, hopefully soon we're working on it, I, I think I'm going to find my real true purpose. And it's, it's to, it's to bring that uh, and to mentor, you know, you know, I had a great father. We talked about our dads uh, who adopted and believed in us. I, I need to do that with my kids and spend time with them. And the time that I have is very precious. As we all know, people are dying left and right. People are going. Uh, and so the time that I have left, I want to plant a seed of positivity, uh, whether it's my own child or other kids or other people that want to just, you know, learn and be the best. Because I'm really genuine about, um, you know, people and developing them. Because sometimes you don't know what you have as a gift until someone can just kind of give you that nudge. Like, hey, my son is a drummer. Like, it should be drums. Like, you can tell. I'm sure, you know, your dad was like, no, he's he's a drummer. Like, and then my, my dad saw something in my voice and my delivery like he's a public speaker like it just took a little extra and we're not going to know this as kids right but hey you find a gift you run with it um and, and so my sunset kind of career will be to, to, to really raise a lot of money for many 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 charitable organizations uh, causes because it's the one job that i can say at the end of the night that my talents translated into money that was never there and it couldn't have been raised without me. And so I, I, I take that very serious. Uh, and so I don't think that answers your question, but my ambition really going back to the true ambition is, is to really make this world a better place than I left it because I've gotten everything that I can imagine. Championship rings, careers, house, roof over my head, my health, everything. But um, before I go, you know, to, <laughs> I, I want to be able to say that I left it a better place, whether it's a seed I planted here, there, wherever it is, that money I raised, that inspiration I gave made that person better because of that. And it was like a little wave, a little pebble, right? You throw in the, in the, in the little lake and then it starts doing this, you know, kind of, you know, with the pool, you know, it just got to, what, what do you call that? It's the, uh, the ripple yeah. effect. The ripple effect. There you go. You got You got me. That's the word. The ripple effect. Because all it takes is one pebble, one rock to start it up, one seed. And I just want to be one that plants for the good. And that's uh, that's really what I'm here. That's I think that's what I'm on this planet for, is to just be a messenger of hope and positivity. And hopefully it's contagious that it will inspire and um, and get people elevated to another level. Awesome. Well, you and I will be working together here in August. Uh, for the yeah, Shirley Ann Foundation Golf Tournament, yes. so I'll be able yes. to see you in action um, doing that. And oh, I'm looking, yes. I'm looking so forward to it. So I so appreciate I. you uh, jumping on the podcast today. It's been uh, it's been an enjoyable conversation, and uh, I, I can't wait to talk to you again. I can't wait too, and we'll have a, hopefully a celebration stogie on the golf course with how much money we've raised with the, with your foundation and, and all the good things that we're going to do there. Uh, so I can't wait, John. Sounds good, bro. 
Well, thanks so much for uh, tuning in, everybody, and we'll uh, talk to you next time on the True Ambition Podcast. The True Ambition Podcast is brought to you by IT Avalon. For more information and links to other episodes, please visit www.trueambition.org. Now, go find your true ambition. And I'll be